In the press release for this weekend's concerts, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra describes Storm Large as sultry, provocative, an explosive performer, all of which you know is true if you happen to have caught uh, the performance of uh, Seven Deadly Sins in Carnegie Hall, perhaps live or perhaps uh, on the webcast, or her amazing cabaret show uh, in the music box. Storm Large is back, and it's so great to see you again. Great to be back. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, sultry, provocative, explosive isn't even the beginning of it. As sultry, far as I'm provo- I, I like sultry. It sultry. makes me sound skinny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... Well, I, I, I have no objections in, in any of those uh, adjectives and, and can think of several more. <laughs> so uh, could so many others. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> uh, you do so many things. And, and when we last spoke, you know, you're, you're singer, songwriter, actor, author, chef. Have you added anything else to your repertoire in, in the last couple of years? Uh, Pilot or no, no, no. Uh, my my ADD is very satisfied right now at the moment. Um, I'm. Let's see. No, I, I don't think I'm doing anything. Well, I'm starting to do yoga again, so I can become more coordinated because I'm a bit of a clod. So I yeah. uh, I I I'm starting to to rework on my physical health. Well, all of us, all of us, clods are glad to hear that <laughs> that we have at least one thing in common. Good. Uh, Storm is appearing tonight in the Cube, formerly known as the Music Box, for a mix at the Max, snacks and and such at six. Performance begins at seven, and that's your cabaret show. We'll talk more about that in detail. Okay. Uh, you brought your band with you. Yes, I did. Oh, oh, they're great, and we'll and again more more on that in a moment. But uh, this weekend, two concerts, two opportunities to hear Storm with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra and uh, Leonard Slatkin conducting in Kurt Vile's The Seven Deadly Sins, Friday at 8 and Saturday as well at 8 in Orchestra Hall. And I wanted to talk to you about this piece uh, because I remember quite vividly watching it on the webcast when you were in Carnegie Hall and thinking... Good gravy! What a who is this, and how can how can one person do all of that so well? You actually play two roles, don't you? In, yes. In the- well, as as you know, and some of your listeners, um, Kurt Weil and Bertolt Brecht. It was their last collaboration, and they were living in Paris. It was the thirties, so uh, nineteen thirty-three, and. Um, to be Jewish and communist was probably not a great idea in Germany at the time. So um, it was before either gentleman had been to the United States. and um, But it was originally written as a, sh- a chant ballet. So a singer is sort of the narrator and a dancer is physically acting out what is occurring. And so there was two performers. And originally, Lotte Lenya was the singer, and uh, I believe the wife of the person who paid for the piece, <laughs> who was the ballet dancer. And so it's it's a big sister and a little sister team sort of thing. And because it's just me, I have a uh, I have an unfortunate ex- lots of experience with mental illness, and so as a lot of people sadly may know that when something traumatic happens to someone 
oftentimes it can splinter a personality where um, one personality is observing the other personality performing atrocities or performing just menial tasks. It's not me. It's it's my sister, also named Anna. Um, and so I kind of decided, because it was just me singing for two people, both named Anna, sisters, it was that one girl was sent off by her family to make money in America uh, to send back to the family. And basically sent to make money means go and sell your body and send your brothers, your mother and I, the money, and we're going to build a house where we can all live. But you have to go do this. And uh, it's pretty it's pretty harsh. It's funny, but it's funny. It's very dark humor. It's very Teutonic where, um, as opposed to, to Italian mu- music or Portuguese or, or uh, like Brazilian music that's very already in, infused with passion and emotion and just the sound uh, evokes a response. This is very narrative and it's almost a very cold sort of description of what is happening. And because the narrator has zero nearly zero compassion. It's seething underneath, but because there's sort of a cold description of what is being done and what's needed to be done, the audience is left with all the feelings. And it's really effective and pretty pretty brutal in parts. Well, you can't take your eyes off it or your ears off it either, for that matter. And I remember watching it and thinking uh, that it, 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 it looked like it was written for you. It, 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 you just fit. Thank you. This so well. How did you first become aware of of this piece? I didn't like it when it was first given to (laughs) me. The first person to give it to me was Carlos Calmar, who is my home conductor in Portland at the Oregon Symphony Orchestra. And I adore Carlos. We're good friends. And he said, I want you to sing Weil. I want you to sing Weil. He's Austrian. And uh, he calls me Puma. Puma, I want you to do the Weil. And I was like, ah, it's so cold. It's so, it's so German. It's so dry. And I don't understand it. And, um, but it was also very challenging because it was going to be performed. I was going to have to sing it at Carnegie Hall. So I, was, I said, yes, of course, I'll learn it and I'll, I'll do my darndest. And I'll read about, I studied Kurt Weil and I studied their relationship, Kurt Weil and La Telenia. It was very interesting. If you've never read of the crazy love story of two people, uh, it's it's a very it's pretty fascinating, um, and heavy. Lotta Lenny was an amazing person, mm. but um, uh, yeah. So that was the first time I was offered it, and then I didn't really get it until I performed it. And I don't read music, so I had to learn it by listening to it over and over, wow. and, over and 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 over again. And I learned it in the wrong key. First of all, <laughs> oh, yeah. No. So when it came time to for the first rehearsal, I was singing at a complete step off, and I had to re- <laughs> learn it in twenty four hours, which 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 isn't that hard to do. But once you know it, maybe not for you. Well, it's I'm not a trained singer, so I just know how to. I know how, if I adjust my tuning, I, it's 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 not really that hard once you know it. But, um, I started to get it. I started to get it when I was inside of it, and um. And now I really I adore this piece so much, and it and now it it 
it feels in America and the world, in parts of the world, it feels very Weimar. It feels very mm. tense and something something is going to burst. There's a lot of simmering anger and there's a lot of simmering fear um, and uh, potential violence, constant potential violence. And it's uh, it's a very timely piece right now. It's a good cautionary tale. Hopefully people will take it to heart. My guest is Storm Large. She's uh, appearing with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra this weekend, Friday night and Saturday night at 8 o'clock in Kurt Vile's The Seven Deadly Sins. You're actually in a Sir William Walton sandwich. There's there's music that's, by... That's the first for me. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> well, it, <laughs> I've done a lot, it, honey, but that's a new one. No, there's, there's I music. better do some yoga before the show. Uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the vial is preceded by the uh, Symphony Number no. 1 by Sir William Walton. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Did I get that right? I'm no, not I, sure. No, I didn't. The, the uh, first... Well, there's a suite from Facade, then there's Kurt Weill, and then there's the Symphony Number no. 1 by Walton. So Excellent. It's Walton, Weill, and Walton. Walton, Weill, Walton. Yeah. Uh, this male. It, is it... Uh, would it be fr- uh, futile or a waste of time, your, your choice, uh, to go through the seven sins for people who didn't uh, remember, there, it's not sneezy, sleepy, and dopey. But, no, it doesn't. May- it, we can. We we absolutely can. Um, it's. Uh, I have the list. Yeah, do do the list. What, but the thing, the, the yeah, I'll, go ahead, read the list. I'll, I'll just I'll just mention them, and if if, if something occurs to you, go ahead. just shout it out. Uh-huh. And meanwhile, when you know when I'm done with this, we'll go on to something. You else. got it. So here, there, there's a, a prologue and an epilogue, and in between are the seven sins, which are sloth. Pride, anger, gluttony, one of my favorites, <laughs> lust, covetousness, covetousness. And then wrath. And then, and then envy. Envy. Oh, yeah. And But envy has is quite wrathful. Um, but uh, lust, first of all, the thing that confused me the most in the piece at first blush, blush the gentleman that, that wrote this... Um, Bertolt Brecht and, and uh, Kurt Weill hadn't been to the United States yet. So for some odd reason, they picked Boston to be the city of lust. And I'm from Boston, nah. and it's not a lusty city. I'd pick <laughs> New Orleans or, or something, but, uh, but certainly not, not Boston. Um, but that's what's so um, funny about this piece is the sins are not the sins that you think. The sin of lust isn't that she's selling her body for money. The sin of lust is if she does not sell her body for money and chooses love instead. That's the sin. It is not the sin of pride. Um, pride is on its ear because the, the sin of pride is you're not going, if you don't take your clothes off for money for our family, that's prideful. That's being prideful. Hmm. Um, Envy is pretty much is odd in the sense that it's not covetous of people's things or material wealth. It is being covetous of their freedom and covetous of their ease of life and love. It has nothing to do with money or, or, or that kind of thing or beauty. It's really, it's just all kinds of twisted and dark. And at the end, Anna is just 
broken on a wheel. It's sick. It's it's awesome. A, <laughs> a stunning, a stunning piece of of work. And and again, your performance is wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Hudson Shad is appearing with you. They are my absolute favorite. Incredible uh, male vocal ensemble. Absolutely incredible. So for the for the folks listening who've never seen the piece, Anna one and Anna two both played by me, and then Hudson Shad is a vocal quartet, a classic harmonizing for, uh, you would maybe describe barbershop style, but um, it's older than that. Uh, like they a, a they comedian, play the family. There was a group of... The comedian harmonists. The comedian harmonists in, in Germany before they were... They were uh, unofficially ousted. They were They had to disband because some of the members were Jewish. They were hugely successful. They were one hugely. of the biggest acts yes. in Europe. Mm-hmm. And Hudson uh, Shad sort of carries on that tradition. They do. And um, not only are they incredibly talented and perfect in this piece, you can hear them on the recording that Marianne Faithful did of the Seven Deadly Sins with, I believe, the London Philharmonic. Um, they are they're exquisite singers, and they're also incredible historians of this of this piece and also all of the the uh, the um, comedian harmonists. And that era and that um, that genre, they're they're such incredible nerds, and I love them. <laughs> they're amazing. I can't take my eyes off them when they perform. Wow, and vice versa. Uh, my guest is Storm Large, who is appearing with the Detroit Symphony this weekend, Friday and Saturday night at eight o'clock, and tonight in the Cube, which we'll talk about in a moment. But go right now. Whatever your plans were, change them. <laughs> Get down here tonight. Well, eat. Definitely eat. Well, there, there's snacks available. It's oh. around 6 o'clock. People okay. get, it's a mix at the max. So you okay, get cool. come in at 6, have a glass of wine, maybe some cheese. And, tequila. Do they have tequila? I think they do, actually. Then it's going to be a good show, people. <laughs> <laughs> and then the show starts at 7 tonight. Uh, but go to DSO.org for more information, or you can call the box office direct at 313 576 5111. Uh, before we get on to tonight's show, another pre war Germany uh, thing that you did was uh, cabaret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played Sally Bowles in cabaret at the uh, um, Portland Center stage in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. And that was, that was pretty cool. I, um, I went to acting school when I was 19 in, in New York City, and I realized very quickly that I was a musician and not an actor. I've done some acting, and it's fine, but it's, it is so much harder than it looks to, to voluntarily choose to feel horrible things in front of people. <laughs> <laughs> it is a deep and dark art, and I just I can't recommend not doing it enough. Um, but, um, I was asked to do, uh, to play Sally Bowles and I was like, oh, I know that I kind of know the piece and I read it and I was like, oh, she's a, she's kind of a drug addled hooker singer. That's not going to be hard. I could do that. Oh, great. So, um, so I did it and a, and a good friend of mine, uh, Wade McCullum, who's an incredible artist and he works on Broadway and he lives in New York city and he played the MC. And I just adore Wade. And so it was just kind of like I got to sleep in my own bed every night and it was lovely and I got good reviews and I and and um and it was really fun. And again, it was a 
another cautionary tale of turning a blind eye and, and being distracted by the bright lights and the boobies and the, and the tweets and the likes and the, and the flashes and the sparkle while the world burns because someone is crazy and wants to be in charge. Wow. Wow. Okay. Meanwhile, <laughs> tonight, you've brought your new band with you, Le Bonheur. Le Bonheur. The Happiness. The Happiness. And uh, again, going back to the DSO press release, this is you don't see sentences like this usually in the uh -oh. DSO press releases. But uh, <clears throat> what we are going to hear tonight, um, or are they describing your recording? Either way. A collection of tortured and titillating love songs, beautiful, familiar, yet twisted, much like the lady herself. Hashtag tequila. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think we should hear some of uh, your work from the album. Sure, and whatever you like. You have a couple of Cole Porter songs on it. One of them is I've Got You Under My Skin, and everybody knows this song. Mm -hmm. Every, and there have been no end of, of absolutely it's a fantastic song. recordings made of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, but not one like this. And, no. And, the, and, the, and the, the, we can talk about it after we, after okay. we listen. But just observe the, the passion. And it's a whole different story now. Here with Le Bonheur is Storm Large and some Cole Porter.
Storm Large, <laughs> and I've got you under my skin with Le Bonaire. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's fabulous. And I, I, I what I like about this track is that I think it, it showcases a number of your best qualities: your your range, your power, the the precision with which you give each word. Thanks. Uh, I used to think this about Ella Fitzgerald that. She presented. Careful, em- you're going to swell my head way well, out. All right, well, just cover your ears and go la la la. But she would she would present each word like it was a jewel on velvet. Whoa! And you, and, and you could, but seriously, <laughs> no, you're right. I, I listen to you sing, and each word is is crystal clear. Um, I have I, I I pride myself in my diction, but I don't have the alacrity of Ella. Ella was an anomaly, but well, I I appreciate the, I so appreciate the comparison. Thank you. But well, and you do things Ella couldn't. Oh, I ooh, careful, careful, man. No, 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 I mean you're you're an artist, and and she's an artist. She did her thing, you do your thing, and oh, uh, it, it's wonderful. Ms. Ella Fitz. Um, I actually I know a great story about um. Ella Fitzgerald, and it's it says nothing to do with Cole Porter, if you don't mind. It's um, quite all right. I I can't remember where I was. I think it might have been Memphis. Some studio guy was telling me a story about a friend of his who got hired to play a party, and um, went to this nice house, and they set the it was a jazz combo, set them up in this kind of parlor area. And they said, all right, you start playing around noon, and then you play for play your set, and then you take a break, we'll give you lunch, and then take play another set. And okay, so they start on time, no one's there. No one shows up, no one comes in. They're just playing, and they're looking around, and they're playing their set, and they're playing their set, and they play their set, and then they take a break, and then someone shows up with lunch, and they're just like, thanks, you guys are sounding great. You know, uh, start up again, I guess, around 2 o'clock, and uh, play uh, your next set, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what is going on? And they're playing, and they, they play their next set, and they're looking at each other, and they're just doing it. And they're like, whatever, man. I guess maybe they're in the, kit- in the kitchen. Uh, who knows what's going on? And then they finish their set, and they're packing up, and a guy, a nice-dressed man who let them in, comes down and gives them a check and uh, says, thank you, guys. You were absolutely amazing. And uh, And the band leader says, I'm so sorry. No one... No one was here. No one came in. Uh, I hope we did all right. And they, he said, oh, no, you were perfect. Ms. Ella Fitzgerald just died, and she wanted to have live music playing. She was upstairs with wow. her family. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if that's a true story, but, man, I was crying like a, like a drunk. I couldn't. I just I thought that was so sublime and such a beautiful story, and what a gift. Um, but yes, she, she was a truly magical and she seemed also chaste. She worked harder, it seemed, than anybody and just wouldn't stop. Mm. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I see in a lot of artists. I mean, whether you're famous or you're not famous, I'm not famous really in the traditional sense, but I, I can't stop saying yes to things because you're just chased by the need to, to keep doing well, I think that's part of what an artist is. An artist yeah. just can't not do what they do. Yeah, and you, people ask me all the time. They're like, "How did you know when you made it?" And I'm like, "I, huh. I haven't made it. I'm making. I'm just making. We well, keep making." You just reminded me about something else about you that I, I admire very much. Uh, if I remember this correctly, and I know that you'll correct me, otherwise, uh, <clears throat> earlier in your career, 
you were singing, you were getting some notices, people were starting to admire what you were doing, and you were getting no end of people coming up and saying, well, you know what you ought to do is oh. you ought to get you ought to get a this, or you ought to get a that, or Lose you ought to get weight. a weight, change your name. You ought to do a whatever. And you Lie fi- about your age. And you finally just said, well, I can't say what you finally said, but you said <laughs> basically, to heck with that, you know, and, and you just sort of put it aside and, and went to cooking school. Yeah, I moved to Portland and I said, screw everything. I'm tired of being told because I didn't start singing and, and performing to become famous because I was chubby and punk rock and not pretty. And I didn't think I mean, only cool people became famous, young, beautiful people who had <laughs> managers and had money and and knew how to dress. And and I was getting on stage in like cutoffs and I would draw hearts over my boobs and and just be like ah, and scream. I'd end up half naked and covered in beer and whatever hair in my face and i was i was uh i was untrained and i wasn't pretty and and uh i did it because i realized i always could sing i always had an ability to sing when i was really really young i had a very mature controlled voice that i noticed grown-ups paying attention to some very positively but some also very negatively that oh you, you just stop stop begging for attention that's bad so i was i was imbued with this belief that if you tried to get attention that was negative and singing made you kind of a a loser if you sing in church if you sing in a play if you sing in a choir if you sing properly you know well then that's okay but not just out in the street not at the mall not in not in the car not in the house just shut up and so in my early 20s, I was addicted to heroin. And I got up on stage with my friend's band. They asked me to sing a Pat Benatar song. And it was a packed club. And I'd sung before in front of people. and But this was the first time that I sang. The whole place fell apart and went crazy. And I jumped off stage and people followed me around saying, Please be in a band with me. Please sing for my band. Please sing with my band. Please do this. Please, 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 please. And everyone was so happy. They were so ecstatic. And they were so excited and lit. And I was like, I did that. I did that. And I can do that. And so the only reason why I wanted to be in a band was to be loved like that and to to make people happy and to be positive, to, to be have something to do that is naturally mine that is a force of good. And I never, I didn't have any friends who made money. I didn't have any friends who were famous. I just knew that I was good at this and I should do it. And I thought, okay, well, maybe beer, maybe I'll get laid. Maybe I'll I'll have <laughs> some great friends. Maybe I can make a record one day. Um, didn't think I would ever get, have money. Um, and then I just kept saying yes to things and kept saying yes to things. And where, where I gave up and said, God, screw this, was when people were like, why don't you want to be famous? You should be famous. You should get signed. You need to get signed. I'm like, screw that. Because they'd put things in front of you. That, you know those contracts. They're like, okay, so yeah. we're going to lend you uh, five bucks and give you some gum, tell you you're awesome, and then you owe us $50,000 in everything you ever do forever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not a doctor, but you can go eat a bag of, of D. And um, so it got so frustrating. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to, 
find some old lady who needs someone to take care of her, and I'm going to learn how to be a chef and a nutritionist and take care of her family and be a, be a personal chef or a caterer or something. Went to Portland, Oregon. They have a culinary institute, and, and it is ungodly expensive. Oh, <laughs> and good. so I saw, Great. I got in the door, and I talked to them a little bit, got a brochure, and I got some information, and I went back to the bar where I was working, and I was like, this is going to take a long time. And then the bar where I was working, the, the owner of the bar, Frank Falacci, begged me to sing in his club, begged me to sing for him, and because uh, he was a fan. from He knew me from San Francisco. And uh, finally, finally, I agreed to do something for him because he had a hole in the week, and all of a sudden he's like, I need you to put something together, anything, do anything. And it was June... 2002, I had taken an official six months off of performing, and I said, all right, the band got put together. James Beaton was in the band, and he's my music director and my partner for 15, 16 years now. Mm. He was there, and from that moment, early June 2002 to today, the rules have been only if it's fun and no jerks. I use a stronger word than jerks, but I was like, I will not work with anybody who isn't a good person, a nice person. And well, it's been pretty, pretty, pretty damn fun. Good for you and good for us. Uh, I want to play another track from your album, Les Bonheurs. Nice. Uh, by the way, if you want to check it out, Les, L-E, right? Yep. Bonheurs, B-O-N-H-E-U-R. The Le good Bonheur. hour, but it's basically the happiness. Check it out. Um, this is quite different, though, from the track we previously heard. Uh, this is called Stand Up For Me, Storm Large. Stand up for me And we'll stand together I'm the sky above you And I love you, everyone Stand up for me For your great-grandmother For your father, brother And each other and everyone Be the light Be the answer Stand up for me And I'll stand beside you I'm the light that guides you From inside you and everyone
Stand Up For Me, from the album Le Bonheur, with uh, Storm Large. And the backups done beautifully by the great-grandchildren of Georg and Maria Von Trapp. Get out. The Von Trapp kids, yeah. Really? They live in Portland, Oregon now. They moved there because Thomas Lauderdale produced an album of theirs um, called Dream a Little Dream. It's a beautiful record. You can get it at Heinz Records. I'm on it. I sing... um, uh, Hushabye Mountain with them. And they're my dear, dear friends. Uh, they are as magical and beautiful as you would hope the Von Trapp kids would be. This is your song. You wrote this. I wrote this. Be the way and be the laughter. Be the reason for the sun to rise. Yeah. it. Uh, I wrote it originally. I was asked to write a song in support of gay marriage. The, the right to marry, marriage equality. And it was years ago, and it was a fight that I thought we were done fighting. And um, I figured I needed to write a love song because it's really just about love. It's just about love. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to be afraid. Um, God made us all, and God is not a human. God is not afraid of who we love. Uh, God is afraid of how we treat each other and saddened by how we mistreat each other in his name, I believe, and, um, and fearing each other uh, in his name, which I believe. I don't espouse any dogmatic religion. I just have had a lot of death in my life, and I've, I've been let's just say, in touch. (laughs) But anyway, I wrote the song because of that. And then in the face of having to write a love song, I was daunted because every love song has has been written a million times over. I love you, you love me. I love you, you don't love me. Why don't you love me? Where are you going? (laughs) Who's that? What? Uh, You know, if only you would love me. Everything, everything, everything. And so... It, it made me think about the nature of love songs and the nature of love and how, as a human being, pretty much every religion equates love with God, that it is the closest we can come uh, to God, is to love, to be loved, to be whole, to accept, to, to have connection with each other. And we pray for it, we beg for it, we wish for it, we, we bargain for it. And um, when someone is hurting, we send it. We, we send our love to strangers who are in pain. And, 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 um, and so it made me think, well, what does love think of us? What, what does love want from us? Because we are always asking everything of love and wanting love to do these things what does love want us to do if it could ask? And that's where Stand Up For Me came from. Are you doing this tonight? Oh, yeah. Please? Of course. <laughs> of course. We need it. We need it really badly now. 
My guest is Storm Large. You can hear her do that song and a bunch of other things and stuff that will just knock your socks off <laughs> tonight at 7 o'clock in The Cube, formerly known as The Music Box. It's a mix at the max, so there will be beverages, there will be snacks, and a lot of great music. And then get your tickets for The Seven Deadly Sins this weekend, Friday night at 8, Saturday night at 8. Did you know Saturday night is Noel night? No, what's that? This is a an annual event in the Midtown area that goes for blocks and blocks. Really? People everywhere. They close the streets. There's there's horse-drawn carriages. Oh, it's, is it's there a, like a craft fair or something? It's, and they sell like- it's stuff oh everywhere. Oh my gosh, I'm a, I'm a Christmas nerd. Oh, well, you're, you'll have a good time. Oh, I'm so excited. Get out in the streets. It starts at 5 o'clock. Uh, but anyway. Great. I know you've got other things to worry about. but uh, Yeah, I probably shouldn't be uh, out in the cold I the have, night before a show, but you know. I, I don't want to keep you much longer. I know you've got to get ready for the show tonight, but boy, there's so many other things. We could, your your itinerary is crazy. You were just <laughs> in London last week. Greece, you, you two said days ago. You stopped Greece. Uh, here you are in Detroit, and then you're doing you're doing holiday pops in Baltimore. Yeah, and then uh, well, uh, between oh, there's so much. Oh, there's so much, and a few other. Th- I skipped over a number. Yeah, of Yeah, I'm. Let's see. I was in London with the BBC Orchestra, and then I went and had Thanksgiving with my uh, stepsister in Athens, and then I got here yesterday from Boston, but it was just Boston was just a 12 hour stopover from Europe. And then I go to Portland, Oregon Sunday to do my own Christmas shows. And then I'm on a holiday tour on the East Coast. And New Year's Eve in uh, LA? Los Angeles at the Disney Hall with Pink Martini. And then I think I have two weeks off or maybe a week. No, I have a week off. Storm Large. Catch her while you can. She's in town right now. You don't even have to get on a plane to see her. (laughs) So check it out. DSO.org, 313-576-5111. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much for having me again. I love Detroit. I'm so happy to be back. Hurry back. It's the wrong time. And the wrong place Though your face is charming It's the wrong face It's not his face But it's such a charming face That it's alright with me Oh, it's the wrong song In the wrong style Though your smile is lovely It's the wrong smile It's not a lovely smile that it's all right with me you'll never know just how happy i am we met i'm so strangely attracted to you there's someone i'm trying so hard to forget don't you want to forget someone too oh it's the wrong game the wrong chips Though your lips are tempting They're the wrong lips They're not his lips But such tempting lips That if some night you're free Oh, well, it's all right It's all right 
Storm Large and Le Bonaire, and it's all right with me.